Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's quite something that nobody was surprised to see Brighton take Manchester United apart at Old Trafford at the weekend. Roberto Di Zebri has developed a much more coherent style of play than Eric Ten Hag's side, with arguably the best recruitment plan in European football. So how can United, arguably the world's biggest football club, catch up with Brighton? I'm Ayoa Kimolere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Brighton and Hove Albion are 3-0 up at Old Trafford and while they celebrate, the home fans leave in their droves. Okay, let's get stuck into this. We have the Athletics' Carl Anker alongside Adam Crafton as well. Our Brighton and Hove Albion writer Andy Naylor will also be joining us a little later on. Right, 3-1 at Old Trafford against Brighton, who have actually beaten Man United for the second time in two seasons. Goodness me, so many people spoke about this game being not much of a surprise that Brighton actually won that match. Here's me, perhaps a little naive, thinking it's Old Trafford, it's Man United, they'll bounce back. Why was this not such a surprise, gentlemen? Let's start with you, Carl. Because Brighton are a sensible football team and Manchester United are unserious, is the glib, the glib answer. This is not the Brighton that had uh, a lot of inconsistent performances on the Chris Hutton, but and the whole entire goal was to, to stay in the Premier League. This is not even the Brighton side on the Graham Potter that could lose against Leeds one week and then have a great performance the next week, but still miss a hat full of chances and draw. This is a Brighton team that rested or made six changes from a 3-1 victory over Newcastle because they're preparing for their Europa League debut and still have a more coherent style and a clearer vision of what they're doing from top to bottom, not top to bottom, just on the field, but also as a club-wide organisation than Manchester United. There was a there was a piece I'd just written out that's gone out now where I've more or less copy and pasted a line I put from United's 4-0 defeat in May 2022 about Brighton are a good football club because they do the intelligent things that big clubs like Manchester United don't do anymore. Going into this game, I know a lot of Manchester United fans were nervous. They're saying Brighton's a good team. Manchester United are in, in a bit of a funk. And what it will take for Manchester United to be a sensible team in the same way Brighton are, it's going to take more than one season. I'm watching players like Casemiro Born leaders, technically, I mean, coming from Real Madrid, achieving great things, um, playing in a Manchester United squad and looking like it's the first time he's ever played football, Adam. I mean, how, how does that even work? I don't, I don't understand. How does that work? Because leader, you've got some decent players around you, but things like the counter press, which you've written about, Carl, I know, that you used to do so well, hasn't been able to do it that well at Manchester United. I'm, I'm still trying to, I'm still baffled by this because I, d I still don't think the team is too bad and there's still a fair bit of quality at this club. Yeah, well, I mean, just to, just to sort of round up Carl's point on the, you know, the, the Brighton bench on Saturday was, was significantly better than the Manchester United bench. 
You know, you look at James Milner, Joao Pedro, Billy Gilmore, Evan Ferguson, Ansu Fati, Bart Verbruggen, this goalie they've just got in this summer, who was like sensational against Newcastle two weeks ago. For some reason, he was back on the bench because Deserve just completely trusts his squad. And you saw these players coming off the bench one by one with Brighton already like 2-0 up, 3-0 up, 3-0 up. And, and it's, it's quite extraordinary. In terms of the, you know, Casemiro, I thought he had a really good first season for probably two thirds of it. I think the final third of it, most people thought, has he just been overplayed? You know, United didn't really have many options to rotate that part of the team last season. And surely he'll sort of come back into form this season. That's not happened. And that's a big problem. But it's not just, you know, I remember we did podcasts like this last season where we were saying it feels like Eric Ten Hag is improving every, almost every player in the squad. There was a period where that felt like it was happening. And now it feels like everyone's getting a little bit worse every week. You know, whether that's someone like uh, Casemiro or I think Lissandro Martinez has had a really poor start to the season. You look at a lot of play, you know, Christian Eriksen, since he had an injury midway through last season, hasn't come back and been the same. Bruno Fernandes is kind of going back to what he was towards the late period of Solskjaer, where he's working really hard individually. But they just don't look like a team at the moment. And they've not looked like a team really in any game except the Arsenal game away, where they were playing in a very, very specific and quite limited way, almost to like protect themselves. Then they opened up again on Saturday and they had their pants pulled down. There, there was a time where Eric Ten Hag comes to Manchester United and Manchester United fans are like, well, like, this is the guy. Strict regime. He's got an idea of what he wants to do. The team seems to be singing the same song. And and, and quite quickly, that kind of collapses. Carl, is, is this down to the fact that the personnel just aren't there. I mean, you look at that lineup and you've got this very narrow um, formation, which actually gave very little width to, to Manchester United. And also off the back of what Adam just said, you're, you know, you're, the, the headline to your article is, you know, Eric's Ten Hag's Manchester United are no longer improving. Where has it gone wrong for, for Ten Hag? Or, 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 is it, or, is it, or is it just a shame that there's a lot of nonsense going on with players? There's a lot of nonsense going on in the background. You laugh. I see. You. <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, a lot of nonsense is a very good way of explaining it. I'd, I'd say there's a lot of things there that Eric Ten Hag is a tracksuit manager. Okay. He, he was regarded as one of the best tactical minds uh, across his time, not just the Ajax, but FCU Telek, go ahead, Eagles, Bayern Munich's reserve team. You give that manager, head coach, however you want it, give him a tracksuit, give him on the training ground, get him doing X's and O's. He is up there with some of the best in Europe. That's well regarded. Eric Ten Hag has spent most of the preseason trying to make good and commercial ambitions for Manchester United in the United States. They played a lot of football in a lot of countries uh, to the point where Christian Eriksen went, that's a lot of travel. I'm not really sure. And I, you know, he said that it's a lot of travel. It was quite difficult. And they didn't really look great at preseason, to be honest with you. It, it seemed as if anytime Ten Hag tried to do something, they had to get on the plane and go somewhere else. Um, there's also a bunch of other things Ten Hag has had to deal with as well, that you'd say should a manager be, have to deal with those things. Now you'd say, okay, it's yeah. the refrain you often get is, this is Manchester United. It's bigger. The spotlight's brighter. You have to deal with those things. There's the often thing about how the shirt weighs very, very heavy when you're a Manchester United player. And what I often want to say back is, if we all acknowledge that Manchester United comes with a unique pressure, shouldn't there be an infrastructure and devices around that club to remove those things? And what we've got now is a tracksuit manager in Ten Hag who is having to be part of an HR department, who is dealing with things that I can only, you know, that seem very headmasterly. 
Uh, and he seems like he doesn't have much time to focus on the tracksuit stuff. This is possibly why he spent the last two transfer winners going, I have no time to keep improving other players. Let's just go buy a player I already know. And I think this this is what happens. This is what often happens at Manchester United in that they bring in someone who is unaffected by the dysfunction and malaise that has afflicted this club for, for a decade. And then after a while, you know, you're either, you either get you know dragged down by it or you have a period where you're successful and then you get given extra responsibilities and then you get dragged down by it. I, I agree. I, think- I agree with what you say. The, I suppose the, the only counterpoint, you know, I would say is that if Eric Ten Hag came in and Manchester and he gave, you know, United said, what kind of player do you want, etc. And then he says, yeah, I want this kind of player, but I particularly want him and him. And then Man United didn't deliver that. The club would then get a load of criticism from people saying, you're not back, you're not backing the manager. And we've also seen, you know, a move from Liverpool, who had this very strong sporting director model for quite a long time. Jurgen Klopp's become a lot more powerful in terms of recruitment at Liverpool in the last couple of years or so. Whether that's a good or bad thing is is a different question. So I do think it can be difficult at times to keep it as separate as maybe we would all like. The other thing I'd say is, like, people keep saying Eric Ten Hag has had to deal with all this stuff. Now, that is true. But let's not forget, like, Eric Ten Hag was one of those people who we reported to have been, you know, supportive of Mason Greenwood's return. So whether he was asked or whether he inserted himself, right, like he was part of that. And that therefore, I think, stops it from being something that is happening to him to something that he also has a degree of uh, involvement, responsibility for, for that for that process, clearly. And then, you know, the Jaden Sancho thing is something that's not happened to him. He has been... Whether you think Jaden Sancho was right or Eric Ten Hag was right, Eric Ten Hag is involved in that. So some of this stuff, yes, you know, we can talk about the Glazers and we can talk about a football director in John Murta who, you know, I think there's still a lot of questions about, you know, how much authority, clout he has in, in the most important rooms. But, you know, United empowered Ten Hag and he's not really sort of made the most of of that power he's been given yet. Empowered is is the correct word, but also it feels like it doesn't quite sum up what true empowerment is. Because as you as you explained it, there doesn't seem to be too much checks and balances what Ten Hag wants and does. To to put it brutally, who's the person that tells Ten Hag, no, not that way. That's that's not that's not gonna work. Because the only way I've ever heard or seen Ten Hag being told no is when it's too expensive. But but let's remember why it was too expensive to get Harry Kane. And part of that goes back to last summer when Eric Ten Hag arrives and basically spends all summer thinking he's going to get Frankie de Jong, right? Like you have to go mm-hmm. really back back in time now to actually understand why Manchester United ended up in the financial fair play situation this summer that they were. So there's, there's two elements to this. One is the fact that because the Glazers don't put any money in, their financial fair play restriction is a little bit lower than, than other clubs. Not dramatically, but, you know, probably would have freed up a little bit more cash. You then also have this situation where United spend all summer get pursuing one of Ten Hag's former players in Frankie de Jong. They seem convinced that they're going to be able to find a way to get him, kind of way to get him, whether that was coming from Ten Hag or the club, who, know, who knows. They didn't get him. It also took them a very long time to get another player that he wanted, but that was difficult to get out of Ajax in, in Anthony. And as a result of that whole process, it meant United ended up spending, what, £150 million on... Anthony and Casemiro, which they didn't have to do at that point, right? Like they all say they had to because they'd lost the first two games of the season and all this pressure was building on them. But it was still a choice that I'm sure Ten Hag would have been part of to say, 
right, just do it. And the knock-on effect of that is one that you have an aging holding midfielder that's contracted for the next you know, three and a half years that you're basically just hoping the Saudis will bail you out of probably next summer in Casemiro. And the other, the other is, you know, a huge amount of money, a disproportionate amount of money spent on Anthony, who may or may not turn out to be a pretty good player, but he's never going to be a, you know, a Mo Salah level, eighty million pound mm-hmm. player. And that meant that this summer the budget was really quite tight to deal with the striker, the goalkeeper, the central midfielder, the central defender that Ten Hag wanted, and it left them in a position where they they couldn't really do anything better than Erasmus Hoyland or Gonzalo Ramos. That there is a degree of Ten Hag's involvement in all of that 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 goes beyond it simply just being like stuff that's happened to him. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. Let's not forget that, that there's also another team who don't have as much money as Manchester United, who should be congratulated for the moves that they're making. But in terms of infrastructure, you have to say they're doing something well. I mean, look at the outgoings they've had from staff to managers to players. And they, back to what I think you just said, Carl, is that they're thinking about the future, or it seems like they're thinking about the future. That's definitely something we can't atone to Manchester United. I mean, we were talking about the, the, the squads, you know, the two squads and what? Manchester United, £342.9 million. Pounds. Brighton, £18.7 million pounds to build. They're not spending lots, yet they're playing good football. Why can't Manchester United do that? They're not spending lots in terms of transfers because you, <clears throat> again, you don't have to spend too much if you make a sensible decision and you do it on time. One of the big things with Brighton at the moment is they make sure your replacement is already in the in the club before they make the sale. So Ben White's replacement was already there. Eve Basuma's replacement was Moises Caicedo. Caicedo was there already. Brighton don't sell a player until they already know who's going to be the person there. I was looking at halftime. I was looking at <clears throat> their first goal scored by Danny Welbeck, that one. Still hurts when Danny Wilbert scores against Manchester United, I must say. Um, I, I was looking at the, you know, the build, that, that goal on the build, that goal. You're seeing Ericsson and Casemiro momentarily switch off. Um, and, and the assist comes in to, to Welbeck. And I was talking to a Brighton uh, reporter saying, oh, this, this your assister. I went, Adingra is, I said, Adingra is a good player. I haven't seen too much of him. To which the Brighton reporter went, yeah, it's his debut. It's his starting debut. I'm like, great, cool. You've, you've already got another fantastic player and it's great if you play fantasy football because you're like, I don't know which of these fantastic regens are going to be amazing, but I know they're all going to cost 45 million to someone at some point in time. But they, they make sensible decisions. Um, Manchester United 
find it difficult to make sensible decisions in part because they're Manchester United and, because, and they're so well known and there's so much information out there about them. And, and, and you know, as Crafton's often talked about, the story of Moises Caicedo was playing fantastic football in South America and apparently could have been available for less than, for about 5 million. Manchester United were aware of him at that point. And, and I remember writing 600 words in the back end in, in that January going, oh, who's this Moises Caicedo fellow that Manchester United are interested in? Only to not write the piece because I was informed Manchester United found it too hard to find out who Caicedo's representatives were uh, and there might be third-party ownership. And Brighton were the ones that actually figured it out and Brighton got him in. Caicedo's now gone for £115 million to Chelsea. He's going to be very, very good for Chelsea. But it's that thing of Brighton haven't spent too much money. They don't have to because they they put in the effort that the richer clubs don't want to put in. Because when you're rich, you go, eh, I'll just buy him for forty-five million after he's been good for a season for Brighton. Whereas Brighton goes, let's do the donkey work. Whenever Brighton beat, you know, Chelsea and Man United, it's like, well, why don't you just run yourselves like Brighton? And in certain respects, yes, you can, right? In terms of the way they've invested in training ground, stadium, local community, all of that kind of thing, recruit the recruitment, the the research they put into things. However, like they also take players at a lower level that Manchester United can't really recruit from, right? Like, Moises Caicedo, when he eventually came, he went out to Belgium, I think, didn't see for, for a little bit of time. It didn't go that well for him out in Belgium. And then he came back, and I actually, I know someone who who spent some time with him just after he'd come back, and he was like, I need to get out of here, kind of thing, right? Like, it's not it's not going right for me. If that had happened at Man United, you know, look at, like, Ahmad Diallo, where Man United take him from Atlanta and for the first, what, 18 months or so, everyone's just like, what the hell have they done? Like, what, what's going on here? Then, he, okay, he had a decent period at, on loan at Sunderland. But you still don't really look at him and think he's going to be on Manchester United's wing. It, well, he might be because they're running out of wingers. But as a, as, a, as a general idea, it's a lot harder when you are one of these, you know, self-anointed super clubs to take players in these smart recruitment decisions and get them into you know, the way that you think you should work. It's not impossible. Like, we've we've seen other clubs do it at certain times. You know, you look at the kind of player Arsenal are recruiting now. They're pretty obvious players, right? That doesn't mean they're bad signings or good signings, but, you know, they're basically looking at the league and thinking, he, he's, he's all right, he's all right, he's all right. They'll make us better. You know, Trossard, Raya, Ben White, uh, Declan Rice. Like, they're not spending... Hours scouring South America, apart from Martinelli. So yeah, but look at look at look, look at Liverpool, and maybe you can argue that Manchester United and Liverpool are in in the same space. But like Liverpool, still- I'd say Liverpool. Liverpool have more in common. If there is a team in Liverpool that United have more in common with, it's Everton, right? Everton are what happens. Everton is what happens to a football team that doesn't have the insulating money that Manchester the Manchester United brand have. Okay, Manchester United are going to be fine this season. They're going to land somewhere from eighth upwards. Because they are Manchester United, because they, you know, Hoyland is, Hoyland is still a good football player. He's still, he's quick enough, he's strong enough, and he's intelligent enough to get 15 Premier League goals. Whereas, you know, a bit lower down, Beto at Everton, is he going to score 10 to 15 goals? I don't know. Everton need a player who can score 10 to 15 goals, otherwise they're in a bit of trouble, right? This is when you have United and Everton are similar because they've had a series of managers who have all been, and in, in air quotes, empowered financially but there's just been a massive infrastructure so that they're, they're both they've got patchwork quilt squads where some of the players are well suited to possession based football and some of them are well suited to to counter attacking football and some of them are well suited to playing a high line but some of them actually want to play sit deep so okay you want to play really pacey counter attacking football but this lad's not really quick 
Manchester United right now, given the ownership situation, just feel like the dog days of the current British government, right? Like, it doesn't matter who's in, who's running the ship from a day-to-day basis, which ministers you put in the cabinet, which you can say, which players you put on the field. Everyone knows it, it's pretty tired. And the chances of sort of tangible success are very, very, just feel very low at this point. And everyone's quite tired and weary and tired of fighting the same battles that they've been fighting for 10 to 15 years for quick wins in the media and all of this sort of stuff. And, and that's what's happening there. And it affects you know, it affects the, what's happening on the pitch, though I think both the players and the manager, I think there's a danger that some of what's currently happening on the pitch is actually just a bit of a shield. It's being the, the ownership's used as a little bit of a shield. But it, it's also off the pitch. You know, staff... Staff were really angry about the Mason Greenwood stuff. Some, you know, you should say, you know, can't speak about everyone. Some staff are really, really, really frustrated about, you know, there's been this strategic review over what happens in terms of potential sale of the club, but also over what they need to be doing with the stadium. And you have staff inside that club who have worked really hard formulating plans and drawing up big ideas, and they cannot do anything because the club has no, does not have the capital to do it and the strategic review is taking so long that eventually people are starting to think right we'll put that to bed and we'll have to focus on something else and that means a lot of people's work within the club starts to feel pointless and irrelevant and therefore job satisfaction throughout the club starts to feel pretty pretty low and that's that's the kind of thing where I look at Bryson and think you really get the sense inside that club there's a drive there's a common unity Whereas you feel at United, there's probably a lot of conversations where people are going, you know, to people at the top of the club and, and saying, well, what, what's going on here? And then the people at the top will just sort of be saying, don't worry, they might be gone soon and we can do all of this. Well, you touched on it there. Let, let's get Brighton's take on this because the Athletics Brighton and Hove Albion writer Andy Naylor, he dropped by earlier to give us the lowdown on how Brighton have been built to succeed regardless of the faces on the pitch or in the dugout. Well, it is part of a process a gradual process that's kind of been going on for a few seasons now and a few years in terms of the way they're developing the club. But I think the key to it is their forward planning. So, for example, with player recruitment, they're they're never just looking at one transfer window. They're never even necessarily looking at the next window. They're looking almost a year ahead with a lot of the business that they do. And it's the same with staff. It's the same with the head coach. There's always a plan well in advance for every eventuality so that when players, coaches, staff leave, and an awful lot have left over the past 18 months, there's always a plan in place to continue the development of the club. Yeah, I mean, uh, the word plan is probably a, a word that haunts a lot of Manchester United fans right now. But you, you put it so adequately. But you, you think about Tony Bloom, and this is massive uh, for someone to be in charge of. Um, but I know you've spoken to him. He seems like he's someone who quite relishes that the, the challenge of making these very, very big calls. Yes, he certainly doesn't shy away from them. And he accepts, he he's actually thinks it's a good thing that, other teams want Brighton's coaches, want Brighton players, because that's a sign of the progression of the club. He said he'd rather have that than nobody's interested in them. So he's quite realistic about where Brighton are as a club, what they can achieve. Um, they they don't regard that there's a ceiling for them as such. They think they can continue to make progress with their model. 
and we're seeing the indications of that. From your perspective, this is a, this is a growth formula. This is a, a formula that's there to sustain Premier League football and potentially, as we're already seeing, European football as well. Yeah, I'm, I mean, there's been a lot of talk, particularly among rival supporters, that, oh, we've seen this before and the reach is a point where, you know, these players go, they can't be replaced and you start slipping down and you look at where Southampton and Leicester are now in the Championship. I get that, but I don't think it necessarily follows that that will happen to Brighton because those clubs didn't have Tony Bloom. They didn't have his his model, his data model, which plays a good part, big part in the way they recruit. So I don't think it's necessarily the case that, that they're going to fall in the way those clubs have. They totally accept that there are going to be bumps in the journey. And he talked about the possibility that, you know, if you have a bad season in the Premier League, the competition is so fierce that you could be in trouble. And he said that the plan, if you like, if you do have that bad season, is to finish no lower than 17th. So they know there's always the risk uh, that, that they could get relegated at some point. But I think the model and the structure they have in place under Tony Bloom certainly gives them the best possible chance of sustaining their progress. We spoke about the word plan just now, but I'm, I'm also interested in culture because, look, you can bring in a, a top manager. You can do all the data you want, you know, you can bring in top, top players for not much money, which they, they have done. But what kind of culture is there within this club that allows people to arrive at the club and feel like they've been there for what, what seemingly looks like they've been there for years? Yeah, it's an interesting point you make. And I know people don't necessarily like the word culture. But I spoke to Jason Steele in the mix zone at Old Trafford after the game, uh, Brighton goalkeeper, um, who's, who, who himself is a, is a great story of the transformation in his career, berated at Sunderland and Blackburn when he was relegated. And here he is at Brighton, took over his first choice from Robert Sanchez last season, now competing with one of the summer signings, Bart Verbruggen. But Jason made reference to the culture and he said he's never known anything like it anywhere he's been. And that goes right through the group. It's interesting if you look at their squad, they've got this real blend of young, really promising players from all over the world. They've got some in that kind of middle-aged group. And then you've got that group of experienced players, Danny Welbeck, Adam Lallana, combined for the opening goal at Old Trafford, long-serving captain Lewis Dunk, Joel Veltman, Dutch international former Ajax, Pascal Gross, I mean, what a signing he's been. He was Brighton's first signing when they made it to the Premier League 2017-18. Three million pounds, scored again at Old Trafford, relentless goals, assists, has finally got a deserved recall to the German national team, having not played for them since under-20s. Everybody buys in to this culture they've created. And that can take you a long way when you've got that identity and that unity. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? 
It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolera. Andy, very positive about what's going on at Brighton. And look, it's still short-lived. It's still quite early on in the Premier League. They've got European football to come. Um, But, you know, the feeling feels good at at Brighton. Adam, can we just give them some credit for this? Because this is a team that systematically have lost a lot of talent, but also have managed to claw back some sort of credibility in, in their appointments in the meantime. Yeah, and I mean, they get it, they've got it right with the, the most important one, which is the head coach. And, and that's, you know, that is the, the big one. That's the only one that I would worry about them losing. I know we've seen them get it right once in terms of replacing, well, twice in terms of replacing Hewson with Potter and then Potter with Deserby. And if there's any club you trust to go three in a row, it would be Brighton, but it's very rare. I think actually our colleague Stu James did a piece last year, which you can find on The Athletic somewhere, um, where he talks about, you know, how rare it is to have consecutive good managerial appointments. That's a really hard thing to do. Um, however, what, you know, what they're doing at the moment is is amazing. Like, absolutely amazing. I, even the game they lost this season, I watched them against West Ham when they lost 3-1 and West Ham just did them on the counter-attack, but Brighton had like 99% of the possession. Um, and that's not even that much of an exaggeration. It was the best I've ever seen a team play in the Premier League when losing. Because like even at 3-0 down, they were still just doing their thing. They, they played exactly the same way at 0-0 as they did at 3-0. And I mean that in the, in the most positive way. And you saw the same on Saturday when they were 3-0 up. They were still going for... Most, most teams just sit back at that point and think, yeah, you guys do your thing, whatever, right? Like, and we'll take the points. They just keep going and going and... I think it's a similar attitude that Postacoglu is trying to bring in at Tottenham, that you always go for the next goal, you always go for the next goal. And I would say, you know, one of the things that you would say about sort of Deserbi and Ten Hag as a comparison is, you know, people say Ten Hag needs more time to bring a system and all of that kind of thing. Like, Deserbi's lost a lot of players and he's not had that much time. And his stamp is all over that football team. And I know that there is a structure and stability that, allows managers to succeed at Brighton that maybe you don't get in the same way at Man United. But that does make it harder to to argue, you know, from Ten Hag's point of view, because in all five games this season, you've not really looked at Man United and thought, oh yeah, there's a pattern there that maybe in six months will be really, really good and interesting. I often think about Southampton. 
So I, you know, I covered Southampton for a season and there was a point in time in the 2010s uh, where Southampton were the model non-top six club that were well run, that brought in young players, that sold well, that bought well. And then it all fell apart after Koeman. Uh, and they and they started getting recruitment wrong and they started getting players in at the behest of their managers and a new manager would come in and go, why have you bought this play, player? They're completely not useful. The big one was Korea. You know, Gouda Korea was 20 million. Um, even though it was very obvious Southampton you'd pace up top, the manager wanted Korea. Hughes comes in and Hughes is like, you are just not what I need. So that's 20 million down the drain. I don't think Brighton will do that. But it is quite interesting when you hear words being used about Brighton about how they've got uh, a a secret source or a black box in their recruitment. That's all down to Tony Blumer. I heard that being said about Southampton back in the day. But that's a a really interesting thing, though, around... I think it's one of the reasons why Ten Hag's job is is very, very secure. Mm -hmm. Unless, you know, he goes and loses, you know, the next five, apart from Bayern, pretty easy fixtures. (laughs) We're treating Bayern as a free hit now. What a time. (laughs) Well, kind of, yes. Um, And... The, the reason for that is that United have just bought a load of his players. So, like, like they are so tied to him as a footballing project. Their footballing project basically starts and ends with Eric Ten Hag mm-hmm. at the moment. And as a result of that, it gives him, I think, more security than it would give him, you know, if the club had been, I suppose, a little bit more of the, of the leading force in terms of those in terms of that recruitment, where they could look at it and think, look, we've, we think we've recruited some really, really good players here and you as the head coach aren't doing what we, what we want, what we would expect to do with them. Whereas in this situation, it's more like, well, we've just dropped like four, what, 300, 400, 5 million, whatever it is, on Eric Ten Hag's preferred players. So well, if anyone's going to make it work, surely it has to I be come him. back to a old interview Graham Potter did when he was Brighton coach. This was, I want to say, this came at the end of 2021. Graham Potter often used the word alignment when he described his time at Brighton. He said, you know, we've got great alignment here. We're all on the same page. We all understand what we need to do. They were aligned on players to come in. They were also aligned on the fact that every player would eventually move on to certain clubs and whatever. And again, the same thing if players come in, uh, you know, you don't sell a player until a player comes in and whatnot. And the alignment also worked because they knew when Potter left, the person to come in had to be aligned and be able to get the best out of the current players they had. And when the Zerbi leaves, which is being spoken of more and more often, I think two or three people have already started tipping him as a Pep Guardiola successor. I'm sure they've already got a document somewhere at Brighton where they're saying, who's the next person after the Zerbi when that time comes? With Manchester United, we're in the situation where I don't think Ten Hag is going to leave before the end of the season. I think he'll be pretty Painful, but again, I think United will be fine. At this point in time, could I tell you, have Manchester United given thought as to who will succeed Ten Hag in the future? No idea, right? And this is why the alignment that makes Brighton work so well isn't there at Manchester United because Manchester United, you know, Manchester United, they're constantly eating hand to mouth. They're the team that gets takeaways all the time where Brighton either cook, so to speak. Well, they are they are cooking European football, or they have cooked up European football for this season. But how, how do we genuinely think that they're going to fare if the Zebri, you know, is being talked about? You know, the next Pep, whatever. What he's done in the Premier League in the last year or so has been incredible. European football is a whole different competition. This is a whole different test on a squad that hasn't been here already. How do we think they're going to fare on their outing in Europe? Oh, first of all, it's a fantastic Europa League group. Right? If you're a Brighton fan. Ajax, Marseille, Athens, 
Amazing away trips. I, I want to go. If Andy Naylor can't make the Ajax trip, I'll take. I'll go and write about it for him. <laughs> um, I, and I think it was it was telling that the Zerbi made six changes for for Manchester United on on the Saturday because he knows he's got he's got to build a squad. I think Brighton are going to be good in the Europa League. They, they've got a squad now that should touch wood be pretty good in that group stage. I watched part of Ajax's three one defeat against FC Twente on the weekend, and Ajax looked pretty poor at the moment. They're t- they're twelfth in the league right now and, and Ajax fans are talking about them in the same way that United fans talk about United and just what's the plan what's the system this is not the the traditional way and you know, Ajax fans are talking about Johan Cruyff in the same way United fans talk about Alex Ferguson and back in the day and whatnot there so that's at least one game Brian you should do well I think Brian are again also in that Southampton phase where they are well equipped to finish anywhere between 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th and that will be a good season for them, right? You know, Europa League quarterfinal and a nice European finish is, is a great season. And this is also the thing about United in that United seasons now are, are we going to win the league? No. Are we going to finish the Champions League? And then it's a yes, no, whether or not you finish the Champions League, right? There's a, there's a much stricter binary of success at Manchester United that doesn't really exist for Brighton at this point in time because the fans are very much on a fantastic journey that's happened over the last four or five years. So... Yeah, you're definitely going through a process of trauma because every time you mention something positive, you have to caveat it with, but look at United. Compliment Adam, sandwich. Please, Compliment get, get, sandwich. Get, get, get. <laughs> I mean, in terms of how they could do in the Europa League, I mean, they could do sensationally well. I mean, I, th- I think they could be in the Champions League this season and do brilliantly well. Like, that's how high their standard of performance is on a weekly basis. Like, bear in mind, they've just ripped apart like completely ripped apart two teams in the Champions League in Newcastle and Manchester United. So if Man United are in the Champions League, then Why <laughs> then, Brighton, Brighton? Yeah. then Brighton absolutely could could go and embarrass teams in the Champions League in quite the same way. Uh, there'll be a bit of a strain on the squad and there'll be some silly points, I imagine, that they'll drop in the Premier League as a result of it because that's just what happens. But, you know, for, for them, it's I don't want to patronise them because they've, They've got a prop. They deserve everything they're doing. It's not. A, it's not a fluke. You know, it's not a fluke when it's. This isn't just a like a six month Deserby project. This goes back all the way to when Brighton were in like League One and working their way up the divisions bit by bit, and the the graft that has gone into that, and the the diligence not to make a misstep really at any point in that process is is quite incredible. So that's why I always feel with them like, yes, okay, they're not going to win the Premier League. But apart from that, I wouldn't rule out them winning a European trophy. I wouldn't rule them out winning an FA Cup, a Europa League. Really, they could have won the FA Cup. You know, if you like, Man United wanted to stop them winning the treble, then they should have given Brighton the pass to the final of the FA Cup. I, last I did season, hear right? more than one United fan express that sentiment <laughs> on the walk to Wembley for before that semi final. Yeah. Like, don't mind losing because Brighton might stop the treble anyway. Um, I think if there is a tiny concern about Brighton in the Europa League and this is Europa League specific is you know the Zerbi football often requires players putting their studs on the football baiting the press playing through them with confidence and style that is very very effective when you're playing some of the big teams in the Premier League the big teams that are expected to to press and United got torn asunder at Old Trafford because Brighton just went okay well that's a really uneven press (laughs) it took 15 minutes and then the Zerbi went just stand wider just make just centre back stand wider. The front two can't press properly, and we'll just attack the space down United's left behind Rashford and, and whatnot. That works when you're playing against a bigger team, 
there will be times in the Europa League where Brighton will be considered the bigger team. And there is a slightly bigger percentage of teams that are going to try and play a bit like West Ham or just sitting deep and trying to counter upon Brighton. And that will be something Deserby will have to deal with. I very much think he will be able to deal with that because I think he's a very, very intelligent coach. You bear in mind, he he's Brighton coach because of Shakhtar. Yeah, he had to leave Shakhtar Donetsk due to geopolitical issues and whatnot. But he was he he was on that he was on that shortlist as a potential Potter successor. Brighton lose Graham Potter because Chelsea had to I have no idea what's the sensible word to describe that situation. <laughs> but but they but they knew the Zoe was the would be one of the people, so they swooped in. So you, you imagine that you know the next person's gonna be great. Brighton are now in that very fun phase where as I said before, I have, they can have a player in the team sheet. I have no idea who that football player is, but I'm going to trust they're going to be good. Ansu Fati's playing for Brighton now. Can you believe that? That's <laughs> one of the biggest headlines ever in global football. Uh, right, let's leave it there, gents. Thank you so much for your time, Adam. Card, you can read from these two on The Athletic as well. And don't also forget, you can sign up to The Athletic today for a special limited time of just £1 a month for just 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great athletic football podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places and head to theathletic.com slash footballpod for the very latest subscription offers. The Athletic Football Podcast is an athletic media company production. 